brethren, Brother Bob here again. The title of this Bible blurb is The Sin Which So Easily Entangles Us. Brethren, contrary to what many of you are taught, getting saved and or born again does not remove a believer's sin nature. And contrary to what many of you are taught again, there is no supernatural deliverance from our sin nature the moment we get born again. And contrary to what you have been taught over and over again, again, There is no mystical, supernatural second or third or fourth movement of the Holy Spirit that you can receive, which will remove your natural desire to sin. I say all these things because there are many people out there in the church who are revealing their biblical ignorance by teaching that the very moment that someone gets saved, the power of their sin nature is somehow mystically removed or destroyed or eliminated from their lives. And anyone with more spiritual discernment than a French fry or who is really being honest about how they live their Christian lives, know that that teaching is absolute malarkey. You will also hear supposedly wise Bible teachers telling you that when you get born again, not only did Yeshua Christ save you from the hell penalty of your sins, he also gave you complete and total victory over your sin struggles. Now, I'm going to be brutally honest. The people who are teaching all these garbage doctrines, whether they're sincere or not is irrelevant, are false teachers. They are preaching a freedom in Christ that is just not biblical. In fact, the idiotic concept that the power of a believer's sin nature was basically destroyed at their conversion ends up leading to many believers questioning if they are really saved. It also ends up with many believers living a life of always wondering, why do I still have a sin nature even though these shepherds that I'm trusting told me that if I was truly born again, My sin nature would have been defeated by the blood of Christ. Again, more malarkey. Now, can the good Lord choose to give a new child of faith a complete victory over a specific sin that they struggled with as an unbeliever? Absolutely. However, a singular sin victory, as wonderful as that is, still leaves the believer with the ability to do many other sins that we find in the Scripture. Let me share an amazing Bible verse with you that offers both discouraging and encouraging words at the same time, while also shooting down the idiotic idea that a believer's sin nature goes away when they get saved. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip away every weight that slows us down, especially the sin which so easily trips us up. This verse follows right after Hebrews chapter 11, which lists some of the great Hall of Fame believers whom the Lord recognizes as being faithful in their walk. Here's a New American Standard Version of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every heavy burden and sin which so easily entangles us. Are you understanding what's being said here? First of all, recognize that the Lord expects his children to lay aside, or better yet, cast off. The word actually means to send it sailing away out of sight. Those sins that pop into our lives. God holds his children and not the Holy Spirit responsible for choosing to cast away those sins that show up in their daily lives. The idea in this verse is that God doesn't want his children wallowing or tolerating sin in their lives. Let's move on. Again, the verse says, let us set sailing or set away all those heavy burdens which so easily entangle us. Yes, we can get caught up in burdens. So much stuff, we put so much stuff on ourselves that weigh us down, whether it's financial burdens, whether it's even church burdens. 
we put the responsibility and the pressure of a lot of things on our life unnecessarily when we got to just give it to the Lord. But what will happen if we take all these burdens on, they're going to weigh us down. They're going to cause problems, stress, worry, depression, anxiety in our life. The verse also says, let us set sailing those sins which so easily entangle us. I'm focusing on the words which so easily entangle us for this podcast topic. Please notice that this verse does not say the sin or heavy burdens which are very difficult to get entangled in. Or the verse does not say the sin that only entangles believers on rare occasions or if they are living in sin. This this verse also does not say that you'll never have to worry about being entangled in sin because your sin nature was defeated when you got saved. Now what I'm going to share next is going to tick off a lot of Pentecostal-like believers, but this verse does not say go make an altar call and ask the Lord to promise to remove those heavy burdens and sins that easily entangle you. Brethren, our Heavenly Father expects your children to fight against, resist, defeat, to work at overcoming the sins that come into our life. There is no Holy Spirit pill that we can take which will cure us of sinning. Just as there is no Holy Spirit pill that we can take which will kill our desire to sin. Listen to the words in the verse again. The burdens and sins which easily entangle us. So why do I believe that the words in this verse are both discouraging and encouraging at the same time? Good question. Let me answer by using my conversion experience. My born-again experience was a dramatic, life-changing event. I had an Apostle Paul-like, life-changing conversion experience without the bright lights and and literally hearing from Christ himself. When I got saved in January 1980, I remember like it was yesterday. The Lord got both my mind and my heart when I got born again. I went to bed late into the night on that day that I accepted Christ as my Savior and literally woke up the next morning a new and different person. Right out of the gates as a new believer, I started sharing my newfound faith with friends and family members. Now, here's a side note. I was not raised around born-again Christians. I was raised a pretty strict Catholic. Growing up, I honestly thought everyone was Catholic. I didn't even know that there was a Lutheran thing out there until I got to high school. On my spiritual journey to find the one true God of all gods, I never had a born-again Christian share with me. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a born-again Christian out there in the world. In fact, I didn't even meet any born-again Christians until many months after I was already saved. And on my spiritual journey to eventually get saved, it was just me and the Holy Spirit going into numerous truths, following numerous trails, as he led me on a gentle and quiet journey to find the God of the Bible. Again, as soon as I was saved, he pressed my heart to share the love story of Christ with all those unsaved people around me. And how could I not? I realized that if you didn't believe this message of Christ, you were going to hell. And my initial Lone Ranger Christianity went great. The Lord blessed me with an opportunity to lead my family members to Christ. I was excited and bold about sharing my newfound faith with many of my unsaved friends wherever I was at. I was a big-time sports guy. I was a biker guy. Um, I uh, used to spend a lot of time uh, playing basketball, football, baseball, all that stuff. So after the baseball game was over, football game, basketball game, we'd head out to the bar. I was witnessing to my friends at the bar. It was great. When When I got saved again, I realized that all those people around me needed to hear the message of Christ or else they were going to spend their eternity in hell paying for their own sins. And not only that, it was a free gift from God. These people just had to believe it. I was the first one of my Catholic family tree to expose the Catholic religion for what it is, a false religion giving people a false hope. I could go on and on and on with the amazing stories that took place as a new believer in Christ. However, 
Even through all these wonderful Christian experiences, there was one thing that was discouraging me. I was still sinning, sometimes a lot, sometimes a little, but sinning nevertheless. And not only sinning, but choosing to sin, even when I knew it was wrong. So when I found myself easily entangled up in these sins, I started to question my salvation. Did I miss something in my saving faith belief? Am I really a child of God if I can so easily be swayed into sinning? How can I truly be a child of God and still be so easily entangled or ensnared by sin? Doesn't the Lord keep his children from sinning? I had all these questions in my mind. Now, I knew my Bible taught when I got born again, I had become a new creature in Christ. Now, I didn't understand all the aspects of that. I just assumed I'm going to be this different guy completely. So I thought to myself, how can I be a new creature in Christ and yet still allow myself to be caught up in the things that I knew to be sinful? And then I read Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 23. What a refreshing day that was for me. In those verses in Romans chapter 7, I was reading about the faithful Apostle Paul having the exact same sin issues that I was having. And when I read Hebrews chapter 12, 1, it reassured my soul that all believers have the same sin issues. Brethren, there is no easy solution out for dealing with our sin nature. I look back in hindsight because of what I know about the truths of scriptures, and I'm so thankful that as a new believer who was emotionally excited about their newfound faith and who still had much to learn about the truth of the Bible, that I didn't end up in a signs and wonders seeking Pentecostally church because I would still be making weekly altar calls trying to find an unbiblical solution for how easily sin entangled me. Now, as I looked in Romans chapter 7, I realized that the Apostle Paul wrote these verses many years after he had become a believer. And here's another fact that you need to accept logically, factually. Don't let your Pentecostally friends sway you. See, they're going to tell you that, well, this was the Apostle Paul before he was a believer. Listen to me. The Apostle Paul was a really smart guy. He knew how to write Greek. He knew what the present and past tenses were. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in Romans chapter 7 in the present tense. That means that Paul was speaking about the sin struggles that he was presently having as an apostle. I know that drives a lot of Pentecostals tonight. It gives them the Trump derangement syndrome. They just can't imagine the Apostle Paul not having complete victory over his sinful struggles. And not only that, the Apostle Paul admitting that he chooses to sin sometimes. People just can't accept that. But that's a fact. They're just not being honest with yourself when they tell you that it's not possible for the Apostle Paul to be doing this. Again, I want to reiterate, I share this very important information about Romans chapter 7 in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 because you're going to get emotionally driven, mostly, again, Pentecostally like believers who live by their experiences who don't know how to spiritually discern biblical truth. They live in this imaginary spiritual la-la land, and they're going to foolishly try to tell you that this, these verses in Romans chapter 7 couldn't possibly be the Apostle Paul speaking about himself as a born-again believer because if Paul was truly born again, according to their idiotic belief, there was no way that the Apostle Paul would have chosen to sin. I truly hope you understand how moronic and false teaching dangerous these concepts are. And I hope you understand how dangerous it is for shepherds to be telling sinners saved by grace that if you profess to be born again and you still choose to sin, you're probably not saved. That's that's an idea of a doctrine from hell. So let me share the verse from Hebrews 12 again. 
So born again, eternally saved, blood-bought believers, set aside every heavy burden and every sin which is going to easily trip you up. Let me paraphrase, let me add to this, i.e., which easily causes us to stumble into sin, even though we are born again, even though we know Christ is our Savior. Again, Pentecostally like experiential believers refuse to accept the biblical fact that it's easy for God's spirit indwelled children to stumble and fall into sin because that biblical fact totally repudiates their silly idea that a believer's sin nature is defeated, shot down, destroyed if a person truly gets born again. I promise you, brethren, anyone who teaches that evil doctrine to God's children is not only causing believers to stumble, these false teachers who share this religious crap are going to have a very, very difficult time at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, again, as I read these verses in Romans chapter 7, understand that Paul is not speaking about a defeated life as a believer. He's just being a realist. He's going to tell you that even on your best day as a Christian, it's very easy for us to get caught up in a sin of lust, anger, jealousy, envy, whatever those sins are. We And the Lord knows that. I mean, this might shock a lot of believers, but God knows we're going to sin. God knows we're going to let them down. God knows we're never, ever, 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 this side of forever, going to serve him faithfully and truthfully 100% of the time. So that's why he gives us the avenue of repentance and confession and get the, and get the blood of Christ to cleanse our sins after we're born again. But that doesn't eliminate the fact that we are going to wallow sometimes in sin, struggle in sin, give in to sin, choose to sin. All those things can happen to somebody who's truly born again. So again, here's the Apostle Paul, 18 years after he's a believer. He's an apostle for the Lord. He's getting all this inspiration from God. If anybody knew how the Christian sin nature worked, he would know it. And Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 14, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. Now, the Apostle Paul clearly understands, I'm interjecting here, he clearly understands that his sin nature was not destroyed when he got born again. Romans 7, 15. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do what is right. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law is good. And the law, interjecting again, the law says I'm a sinner. None of us could ever be perfectly good. Verse 17, so I am not the one doing it, but the sin which lives in me. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't always do what is right. I want to do what is good, but I don't always do what is good. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really one doing it, but sin which lives and reigns in me. Are you paying attention, saints? Again, this isn't a message about defeated believers. The same Apostle Paul who struggled with his sin nature ended his life with the words, I fought the good fight, I ran the race, I finished the course. He knew that even in spite of his sin nature, he walked in a manner which pleased the Lord. Brethren, it's obvious from Apostle Paul's own words here in Romans chapter 7 that there is no supernatural carpet ride that mystically sweeps believers away from a life of sin into a world of sinless bliss. As a new believer reading these verses from Paul, I saw for the first time in my new life in Christ why even though I wanted to always do good for the Lord who died for me, I was many times choosing to do bad. I understood that even though I had become a new creature in Christ, that old man of sin in me was still reigning 
in my fleshly body. I now understand that there was and still is a spiritual war going on between my spirit and my flesh. And I had to accept the fact that me, the guy who says with his mouth that he always wants to do good, finds himself not really meaning that and choosing instead, because I let my sinful flesh reign inside of me, do the wrong thing. As I read the words of the Apostle Paul, I was both refreshed and discouraged at the same time, realizing that I would be battling this rotten flesh of mine until I went home and got my new glorified sinless body. The words of Paul were also refreshing because I now knew what I was up against as a believer. And the Apostle Paul's words were also discouraging because I genuinely wanted to give my Savior my all 24-7. But I now knew that that was not going to happen. Now, again, I want to reiterate, I don't want you thinking that because believers have this inherent sin nature, it makes them impossible to be seen by the Lord as being pleasing, holy, and upright. Brethren, being seen by your Heavenly Father as being faithful and holy is still very possible, even though we are, on numerous occasions, going to let our Heavenly Father down. And again, not a shocker, God knows we're going to sin. Not a shocker, he knows we're not going to be faithful. Not a shocker, he knows that we're even going to choose to sin when we know it's a wrong thing to do. Now, I'm not going to deal with it in this podcast, but an important doctrine that greatly encouraged my faith was when I found out that my Savior knew exactly what I was going through when I struggled or even wallowed or caved into sin. My Savior understood the struggles I have with my sin nature. And now because I'm dealing with this sin topic, I need to expose the foolish concept of what has come to be known as altar calls. Brethren, the concept of going up to the front of a church for an altar call, which metaphorically represents the altar, which metaphorically represents the sacred area of God's throne room, to deal with some sin struggles you're having sounds all pious and spiritual, but it's not biblical, especially not New Testament biblical. Now, I'm not saying that it's outright sin if a church chooses to have altar calls. However, I see it as an unnecessary church tool that many times does more harm than good. Let me explain. There's a couple of things that I see wrong about these altar calls. First of all, God's people shouldn't be waiting for a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning or a weekly church revival to deal with their sin struggles. God's people need to be dealing with their sin issues 24-7. You don't wait until Sunday morning to deal with those sin struggles you've been having all week long. I honestly believe that some believers go to the altar call for sanctimonious reasons and not God-honoring reasons. And secondly, what magical, mystical transformation of your life are you expecting at these altar calls? Grace said, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly in the street corners or in the churches where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward you're ever going to get. Now, is it wrong for a believer to ask for prayer? Absolutely not. But I genuinely believe, because so many of God's people are emotionally driven and emotionally led, I truly believe they come to these altar calls seeking a supernatural sign and wonder that the Lord is not promises people in a church age. They're seeking for this supernatural deliverance from their sin nature or from their sin struggles. It's not going to happen, saints. We're born with sin-cursed bodies. We are going to struggle with sin every day of our life until we get to the other side. And until believers accept and understand that, they're never going to defeat their sin struggles. They're not going to get victories because they're going to think the victories come through some magical, mystical movement of God. 
Brethren, I have seen the same believers make these walks up the church aisle to an altar call. Week after week, month after month, year after year, and pour out their hearts and many times tears, and they're never changed. And the reason for that is that there is no magical supernatural deliverance from your sin struggles. I promise you that you can pray 24-7 with the most genuine and sincere heartfelt prayers that you can come up with. You can ask your Heavenly Father to remove all your sin struggles, and it's not going to happen. Part of the service that we have been commissioned to by the Lord is to fight and resist and defeat the power of our sin nature, which is constantly trying to control our life. As I've shared on numerous podcasts, this victory, quote-unquote victory over our sinful flesh, is a lifelong battle. Just when you get victory over drunkenness, now you got to deal with the sin of anger or jealousy or envy or laziness or whatever it is, or anger. There's always going to be a victory that we need to get over the next sin that comes into our life. As a new believer, you're going to find yourself losing the battle with your sinful flesh more often than you defeat it. However, as you grow in the faith and get strong in the faith and are obedient to the scriptures, the victories over the sinful flesh will become more and more numerous. However, make no mistake, until we get to the other side, brethren, where this rotten sinful flesh is finally, totally and completely defeated, we need to work at putting away, i.e. resisting, sin which so easily trips us up by choosing to set our mind on the things above and not on the things down here. In the next part of this podcast, I'm going to explain how the sin cleansing process for a child of God worked. Your true friend in Christ, Brother Bob. The Bible tells God's people to not grow weary of doing good. Brethren, if we stay faithful, in spite of our rotten sinful flesh getting in the way, if we stay faithful to the things of the Lord and the ways of the Lord, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, at the judgment seat of Christ, in spite of our rotten sinful flesh.